Welcome to the Christopher Peter podcast, which contains my individual segments from this week's Christopher Peter review. Please enjoy. Welcome to the podcast today. Hope all is well. There are few things guaranteed in life. One of those things is change. Each day we change. Each day the world around us changes. For the better or for the worst. We just have to make the best of that change or be the catalyst for the change we want to see in our world. The biggest driver of change in society and our economy is really the development of new technology. Especially technology that disrupts our daily routines, our business practices, and how we view the limits of productivity. In the entertainment space, the biggest disruptor to how we experience digital entertainment in recent times is streaming technology. Many of us remember how cable expanded the menu for what people could choose to watch. Gave households a wider selection of content to experience and channels built around specific themes. For instance, if you are a fan of sports you have the option of watching 24-7 coverage of all things sports on one of the ESPN or Fox Sports channels. If you are a fan of horror or the paranormal, you can watch the science fiction channel better known as sci-fi. A disruption from the ABC, NBC, and CBS limited menu. Now, we have streaming ingrained into our daily lives where we can control when we watch our favorite content and can create our own list of shows, movies, or specials to watch. Streaming offers us convenience and choice. While cable broadened the options, you still were limited to watching content when the network scheduled broadcast. Maybe your show moves from 8 at night to 5 in the afternoon putting it right in the midst of your afternoon commute. Then you hope there was a repeat broadcast. Now, streaming allows us to add shows to our queues and watch it when convenient. A main driver for streaming was convenience. But also a value proposition. Netflix put Blockbuster out of business by understanding that people would rather have movies delivered to their homes rather than waiting in line and hoping a copy of the movie they wanted to see was available. We all remember the feeling of getting to a Blockbuster and not finding what we came for and having to peruse the aisles for a consolation option. Then Netflix and other early adopters decided to take on the networks and cable companies with the streaming model that allowed people to watch movies, shows, and other content when they wanted, where they wanted, and how they wanted. Disney Plus joined the market as well as other popular options from content producers and networks as well. For the consumers, the initial rise of streaming provided a considerable value compared to traditional cable. The obvious non-monetary value is being able to watch something at your leisure and not having to remember to record or DVR it. Remember having to do that when you were out when your favorite show or sporting event was going to happen at the same time. The monetary value was in the fact that initially streaming was much cheaper. Young professionals found it unreasonable to continue having to strategically negotiate with cable companies to protect their current rate from increasing, when they simply could pay less for streaming, which had the shows or content they watched. Thus the cord-cutting trend happened. People started cancelling cable service and only purchasing internet in favor of streaming services or a shared streaming service login. Many free riders for people who simply allow others to access their accounts with their own profiles. Although, the purchase of their own service would be cheaper than a cable bill. Again change is always a thing in life. And what is sometimes affordable becomes less affordable when market dynamics change. Sometimes what was once thought to be more expensive is less expensive as providers adapt to the same changing market dynamics. As streaming services started to come online, many associated with networks or studios owned content that was available on competing services, which required them to restrict viewership to their own channels. Otherwise, there is less of a commercial appeal hard to convince consumers to pay a fee for something already on Netflix. So if you add up all the streaming service fees needed to match the access you had with cable, the sum will probably exceed the current rate of a comparable cable television package. Unless, of course, you share passwords and access. 
In that case, Netflix decided it would not shut down service. Rather it will start charging additional user fees in order to cover the cost of the additional users. In all fairness, Netflix does have a legitimate interest in ensuring that all people who access their platform actually pay for service. A less legitimate cost increase seems to be the one being debated inside of Amazon. In recent articles from reporters who cover the space, Amazon is considering raising the cost of Prime Video if users want to avoid commercials. Commercial buyers want access to viewers on these platforms and it seems like Amazon will consider raising the cost so they can benefit from both sides. As I aforementioned, some things that were once affordable can become more expensive over time. From the business side of the streaming market, the service providers of streaming services have not realized great profitability as one might think. Sure these services are highly profitable. But they require large expenses in terms of infrastructure to support the delivery and storage of content. Large expenses in content production and content licensing to ensure that there is enough new content available to retain consumers. For instance, Disney Plus is highly popular and has some amazing content generated specifically for streaming. Yet Disney has not reached profitability on a quarterly and annual basis, meaning that other divisions are funding the shortfalls for the streaming division. Yet, a company like Disney understands that other divisions are impacted by the cord-cutting movement and will also need to rely more on streaming than they currently do now. Recent data shows that the number of people with access to ESPN continues to diminish as more households cancel cable plans. Therefore, it is not surprising that ESPN leadership is preparing for an eventual transition to a streaming model, where it relies more on ESPN+. So what we are seeing is consumers fleeing a service model that has become less affordable over time for a streaming industry that appears to be more cost-conscious. But as the market grows and subscriptions continue to rise, but at a slower rate, streaming services are closing that value gap. That is expected. You want to grow the market by positioning the service as affordable to attract early adopters on through to late adopters. Once the shift matures enough where consumers do not think it is beneficial to go back to cable, but will still be susceptible to the argument that you already paid this much for cable, why not pay for streaming? The whole portion of the pocketbook approach. I think cable companies are adapting to what is an inevitable outcome but they will not go the way of Blockbuster. The cable infrastructure becomes too cost prohibitive to maintain. But the critical service that streaming requires that cable providers are essential for is internet access. Like when you purchase an electric car, there really is not as big of a reduction in fossil fuel usage as fossil fuel is used for the production of electricity. The internet portion of your cable package is still required for streaming. Companies like Comcast's Xfinity found ways to embrace streaming in its product offerings. Comcast is America's largest cable company, so it has a lot at stake. Other services are also realizing the need to connect customers to popular streaming apps. I believe a company like Comcast will obviously overcome this technology disruption. For one they already own a streaming company in Peacock. But their cable service has also been adapted to streaming as well and compatibility with popular streaming services. Companies like Verizon's Fios will be able to adapt as well. But I think we will see some service providers struggle if they are not able to offset losses or revenue declines. We see Major League Baseball already being impacted by Bally Sports struggling to meet their required payments because their customer base is dwindling without streaming options. So we talked about the consumer impact. Consumers initially benefited from the transition to streaming by initially reducing their entertainment bills for a while and being able to enjoy entertainment on their terms rather than a rigid schedule. Providers benefited creating a new industry sector by disrupting the cash cows in the cable television market. Now, what is the impact on investors? Investors are making a good amount of returns investing in Netflix and entertainment companies with streaming services or conglomerates also with streaming services. 
I would think it is not a good time to invest in companies that are built around cable service as their main draw. Not financial advice. But, their core revenue source will be shrinking, which is not what you are looking for in a company to invest in. Streaming is how people prefer to experience entertainment content. That is reality. In a way, we can admit that it would be cheaper to simply keep the cable bill compared to the collective cost of subscribing to all the popular service options. But times change. Companies that adapt early will survive in some form or even thrive. Others will fail. Recently, I saw that increasing crime in our large cities may be starting to reduce. A great sign if it truly is a sustainable reduction and not just a temporary dip. Or a statistical valley before the next rise. And hopefully not just a result of a change in how crimes are reported, which is how past leaders maintain the appearance of safer communities. In the not-so-distant past, there was a change in how crimes were reported to focus on the incident. For instance, if there was a mass shooting, it would be reported as one murder with a number of victims rather than a murder for each victim. Makes a difference in how one perceives the safety of their community. And how a political candidate can frame the effectiveness of their policies. And we know that we need to be careful when we read these articles because of the political biases. Depending on where their political leanings fall, they may accentuate or play down the statistics to fit narratives. So what might just be a dip will be made to appear as a cataclysmic shift in behavior. The reason I have concern is because I am not sure that there is a real shift in our general attitudes that will lead to a reduction in criminal actions. While we want to attribute as much as we possibly can on COVID, we must also consider that people are not as good as we want to paint them as we hope them to be. But I do think that some of the progress can be attributed to the realization by some local leaders that maybe it was a mistake to embrace the defund the police sentiment, or restrict law enforcement. When the real need was to improve accountability and appropriateness in procedures and protocol. Many people were appalled by what we saw on the George Floyd video. But we were equally appalled by what we saw in response in regards to the looting. And more appalled by what we saw in areas that defunded their police department. I believe it was common sense, even in the midst of the highly emotional environment, for the response to be for communities to review what their standards are for law enforcement and what their definition of excessive really is. And if they have a real process of holding violators accountable for crossing the line. I do not think any reasonable person wanted to see less police patrolling the streets. Because the idea that criminals exist is not a right-wing conspiracy, but a reality for many communities. We should still want the victims of crimes to be able to call the police and get a timely response. The pulling back of law enforcement combined with the manufactured anger helped to show the lack of human decency that existed in many of our communities, which was no longer deterred because there was no fear of getting caught anymore. The presence and patrolling of law enforcement is an important deterrent to crime. Something we could have predicted. In many communities, we see people run stop signs and speed in residential areas if there is perceived to be no chance of getting ticketed. People might understand that they should not do bad behavior, but the only real deterrent is the fear of getting caught. And that is what was removed. The real cost of the scaling back of law enforcement was not just the considerable cost borne by the victims, who were further victimized by the lack of justice. But also communities who saw economic activity reduced and businesses fled. People do not want to be associated with or exposed to crime. There is an economic effect that leaders need to consider. So I hope that part of the progress was the realization that our communities, large or small, need effective law enforcement. We need police that are equipped to properly handle any threat. And trained to protect and serve all people regardless of demographics and apprehend the worst in our society in a manner consistent with our constitutional expectations. We the people also play an important part. We need to accept the fact that part of the path towards safer communities and law and order falls onto our shoulders as well. We must accept the responsibility to be part of the solution and not part of the problem.
The debate over our declining social morals always revolves around big issues, but sometimes the simple idea of respecting the rights and safety of others can help maintain human decency. We must accept the responsibility to not harm the rights, safety, and welfare of those around us when we exercise our freedoms, civil liberties, and choice. Because once you do you create situations where your rights can be limited to accommodate the need to make others whole. For instance, we see people walk dogs around neighbors. But there is always that negligent person who does not curb or leash their dog. So local rules will need to be implemented to inflict compensation to victims when negligent individuals infringe on the rights of others. While we want to always claim freedom or our right to do whatever we want, we need to realize that rules and regulations are the result of not being accountable for the externalities for these choices. Just because you think you have a good reason to do something, does not mean it is a good idea. Should people have to think about who could potentially be impacted by their behaviors or choices? Yes. That is what being an adult is. Right? We all are emotional people. All are born with that ideal of self-determination and free will. But we also have to understand there are times to consider the impact of our choices before we do something. Some feel it is easier asking for forgiveness than permission. Sometimes not. That is why we might consult with neighbors before doing something that might infringe on their enjoyment of their property. Easier to negotiate a solution than battle someone in court and potentially lose. Even in the midst of events that evoke strong emotions, we still have the responsibility for our responses to these events. Emotions are commonly used to excuse bad behavior, but they do not exonerate people completely. We have the responsibility to control our response to emotions and not be controlled by our emotions. So much in our life requires action by ourselves and not just waiting for others to make the right decisions. For instance, you cannot wait for your boss to see the value you provide, you have to find ways to make yourself more visible. Sometimes we have to find ways to be the change we want to see in society. If we want a more decent society, we all have to accept our role in it and hold ourselves accountable while holding others accountable as well. Some people have the latter down but still need to work on the former. This week was quite the strange week for those of us who live in the northeastern part of the United States. For those who are unaware, millions of Americans were impacted by smoke generated by wildfires burning out of control in our neighbor above us. Yes, we can blame Canada on this one. Our friends to the north are experiencing a troubling wildfire season in which they have requested and received assistance to address over 400 wildfires that are generating enough smoke to impact the quality of life miles and miles away. Or kilometers and kilometers away. For those in New York, some had to resort to bringing back out those masks stored once the return to normalcy occurred. Just for a brief return to unnormalcy for almost two days. The result of the smoke was the cancellations of flights, sporting events, and restricted travel and movement for millions of Americans. On one of the daily news broadcasts, the anchors warned that being out in the smoke could result in the inhalation of smoke equivalent to smoking a half-pack of cigarettes. A staggering comparison when you think of it. For all those people who decided to quit smoking during this time, they still got their dose minus the nicotine. Not taking quitting smoking lightly. A topic that will be part of a future episode. I am sure there are plenty of times when Canada may be impacted by our West Coast wildfire season. So we cannot complain too much. For a long time they were the neighbor that was not a source of problems, like our friend to the south. For two days, I guess we can tolerate getting temporary smoke from the north and illegal migrants from the south, which is far more troublesome. The situation will undoubtedly cause people to sound the alarm of climate change. But this may just be a situation of poor forestry management. I remember listening to a talk during a conference many years ago in which the speaker discussed how wildfire management is executed and how these events are naturally occurring as well. The need to remove certain brush and trees at risk of fueling a wildfire. Sounded like a common sense idea, 
but I could understand the challenge of having so many tree huggers that hold the radical view that no tree should be chopped down. So how can we potentially protect against wildfires that occur from the random strike of lightning from a storm outside of our control? I know there are some people who will argue that if we cut down our fossil fuels that there will be less storms and less occurrences. But we do not know if that is true or even possible at this point. Thunderstorms are a natural occurrence caused by the convergence of two weather fronts. Something I learned in a meteorology class. One that I found very interesting yet did not count towards my major. Only my term bill. Now, don't get me wrong. I do believe that we should be more sustainable-minded in our daily lives and economic production. But I do not agree with radical approaches that create real harm or ones where the economic harm may outweigh any benefit, real or perceived. Not willing to increase the energy cost to those on fixed incomes or impoverished. Hate to see the elderly struggling in areas that ban plastic bags. Not every event should be a catalyst for radical action. That is not good public policy. We should not go to war every time an enemy comes too close to our aircrafts or ships. There is a need to determine the gravity of the situation and whether it is an outlier or not. Some states are going after gas heating and gas stoves rather than working to find innovations to better manage the potential emissions. We need more balanced approaches. Like the situation where there are too many plastic bags. The politicians simply went and banned the bags without regard to the impact. Many entrepreneurs came out with better solutions of how to remove plastic from our oceans, beaches, and other areas to repurpose it for other commercial uses. There should have been somewhat of a transition instead of an outright ban. Some stores can up with providing reusable bags that are the same size and look of a plastic bag that are recyclable. During my trip to a ShopRite in New Jersey, I gladly used it and continue to use them in other areas I may find myself. A balanced solution rather than a knee-jerk ban. Hopefully, the two days of smoke will not serve as a catalyst for more reckless policies. Rather both American and Canadian fire management personnel should coordinate the commonalities of what works to manage wildfires so both nations can reduce the cost and consequence of their respective wildfire seasons.